coming from. It says, Now it happened that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus for a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was going to be registered for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was with child. Now it happened that while they were there, the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the guest room, or the inn, as some translations say. This morning, uh, while you're still turning to the Gospel of Luke, I just want to tell you that I am preaching entirely without my manuscript this morning. Uh, What that means is it'll probably be a shorter message. Praise God, right? (laughs) Uh, I told someone this morning that I went through this message a few times this week. One time it was 25 minutes long. One time it was 45 minutes long. One time it was almost 55 minutes long. So I have no idea where we're going to land today. All right. But I'm just going with my my Bible and the notes that I have scribbled in there and one little sticky note because I don't want to forget something. So uh, the actual text we're reading today is actually Luke chapter 2 verse 8. Through verse 20. Now, last year on Christmas, I preached on Luke 2, 1 through 20, but today I want to focus, I want to zero in on the shepherds as we look upon this idea of joy in Christ. We've been doing a series uh, titled Joy in Christ. We looked at joy in hope, joy in grace, joy in faith, joy in repentance, joy in the Word of God. And today, this is the apex, the climax of the series, if you will. We still have a couple weeks left in it. But the idea is the joy that we have in Christ is the greatest joy of all. And we begin reading in verse 8. It says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it happened that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary was treasuring all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as was told them. This morning, I hope you understand, this is a, kind of a three-point sermon, yes, but the one point I hope you understand, the one thing I hope you take with you is simply this. If you seek Jesus, you will find the greatest of joys in him. I'll say that again. 
If you seek Jesus, you will find the greatest of joys in him. A lot of, a lot of people are seeking for joy. But it's only in Christ we find the greatest joy, the fullest joy that's available to us in all the universe. In fact, many people, even before Christ, were seeking him. They were looking for a Messiah. Uh, Gamaliel talks about it in the book of Acts, how there were guys who rose up and they thought they were somebody special and they had a following, but they turned out to be nobody. Abraham, way back in the book of Genesis, was looking forward to the day of Jesus. In fact, Jesus says in John eight fifty six, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. In other words, Abraham had joy. He looked forward in faith to the day when the Messiah, when the Savior would arrive on the scene and in faith he saw it and he had great joy. Of course, if you remember that story, the Pharisees didn't like that he said that very much. They said, you're not even 50 years old, and yet you say you've seen Abraham. And what was Jesus' reply before Abraham was? I am. It was one of those powerful statements in the New, the New Testament where Jesus makes his claim to deity. He says, I am, the same way God the Father told Moses, I am meaning that I am the eternal God. And that that's, didn't sit well with the Pharisees, by the way. They picked up rocks. They wanted to stone him for it. But that's something that we have to keep in mind, that Jesus, as the, the second person of the Trinity, as God, has existed far longer than just the Christmas story. In fact, he actually appears to Abraham and he says to Abraham back in Genesis 12 that through Abraham's seed, all the world will be blessed. And we'll we'll touch on that as we go this morning. But we're going to get into the text. and, And the one thing I hope you take away again is that if you see Christ, you will find the greatest of joys in him. Now we read in our text, and I'm going to do this a little bit different because I'm not preaching from a manuscript. Uh, as we go, normally what I do is I read the verse and then I back up and I dissect it for you. Today we're just going to dissect it as we go. Is that okay? I see one or two people nodding, three or four people snoring. We're going to go. Okay. In the same region, we're going to stop right there. Oh boy, this is going to take forever. We're going to stop right there. In the same region, well, where are they at? They're in Bethlehem right? Church, how many times have you heard me say that you can get to the cross from almost any page in your Bible? Many of you have heard that. Wednesday nights, we talked about getting to Jesus from the Old Testament, right? Even in this little passage right here in the same region, well, what happened in Bethlehem? In this area where the shepherds are tending their flocks, the sheep that they were raising up were destined to be sacrificed in the temple in Jerusalem. Let me reword that. The lamb that was born in Bethlehem was destined to be a sacrifice in Jerusalem. Do you see the connection? Even in the manger, the shadow of the cross looms over Christ. He's born in a stable. He's born and put into a feeding trough, a manger. And he's going to walk a very bloody road all the way to the hill of Calvary. And there's no wonder Isaiah calls him the man of sorrows. I think it's my microphone doing that. Sorry. In the same region, there were some shepherds. Now this is important. Shepherds. Shepherds were the outcasts of society. They were antisocial. They were not people you'd want to invite over for dinner. Having a shepherd in your home was not going to increase your social status. 
A shepherd was somebody who was uh, outside all the time, always with animals. They weren't around a lot of people by their choice or by societies. They probably didn't smell the greatest. They didn't get to a wash basin very often. Not only did they smell like their sheep, they likely smelled like who done it and what for, right? Some of you guys who've played sports, you know what I'm talking about. You, that smell after a game or a good practice. They probably smelled like that quite a bit because they were out working all day, every day. And on top of that, they were not very wealthy, In fact, many shepherds had to supplement their income by taking on another job. And yet God, in his brilliance and in his mercy, he has a lot to say about the shepherds of people. In fact, Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He identifies as a shepherd. In 1 Samuel 16 and 17, it's very well noted that he takes a shepherd boy, the least of his brothers, and rises him up to be a warrior and a king. Of course, I'm speaking of King David, ancestor to Jesus. And in John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. God has this soft spot for the shepherds, those whom society has designated as outcasts, as people unwanted. And they're out in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. They're protecting their sheep. They're protecting their sheep from thieves. They're protecting their sheep from predators. They are in the shadow of death, if you will. Because something that wants to attack their sheep will have no problem attacking them to get what they, what they want. And they do this 24-7, 365. I know, I know the internet rumor or the internet story that Christmas, well, they were tending their flocks in the springtime. Christmas is a pagan holiday. That's why we celebrate. It's actually Roman Saturnalia. And we took that from the pagans because we wanted to have a winter holiday. That's, that's bogus, by the way. There's actually a Jewish tradition that a prophet would be put to death on the same day in which he was conceived. The original Easter was March 25th. Add nine months to that, what do you get? December 25th. Saturnalia, by the way, is actually December 15th. It has nothing to do with this. Christmas has nothing to do with the pagan world. It's entirely a Christian thing. And shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night, they did this year round. It didn't matter if it was springtime or winter. You know, Israel, if you've ever seen it on TV, they don't have winter like we have winter. So it's not a big stretch of the imagination to think, hey, if it's a little chilly, what can they do? Build a fire, right? They have clothes made out of wool, which is pretty warm. They have easy access to wool. So it's, again, this is, this is just telling us we have no idea exactly when Jesus was born. Don't get me, don't think that I'm saying he was born December 25th. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have no idea when it was and it has nothing to do with a pagan tradition. It has nothing to do with Horus or any of that other stuff either. But Luke goes on, he says, an angel of the Lord, not the angel of the Lord. Now, when we study the Old Testament, we see this, the angel of the Lord. And if you read what he says and how he talks, we quickly come to the conclusion that he is the pre-incarnate Christ. Well, Christ is now incarnate. So it's not the angel of the Lord. It's an angel of the Lord. And he stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This would have been a bright light, a great light. 
And actually, this is fulfillment of prophecy that just happened right earlier on your page of your Bible when Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, says this. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to direct our feet into the way of peace. Now, that's the, what we're seeing take place in our text is the literal Example of this being fulfilled. There is a, like a sunrise, the glory of God in the middle of the night appears. But we know from the Gospel of John that Jesus is the spiritual fulfillment of this. He is the light of men. He shines in the darkness. The darkness doesn't know him. And they're terribly frightened. The Greek there is ephobathesin, phoban, megan. Intensely fearsome fear overcomes them. Now, You might be sitting there saying, well, I wouldn't be afraid because that sounds kind of cool. I'm sitting out here at work and all of a sudden an angel shows up. Until you remember, angels don't always look like people. It doesn't say in our text this angel shows up in the form of a man like he does in Daniel. Angels sometimes have four faces and six wings and they're covered in eyeballs. And if that shows up in the middle of the night shift, you're scared. Right? You might need to take a bathroom break. May I be excused, angel? Right? The most intense fear humanly possible overcomes them in this moment. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Now this angel has to keep saying this. You'd think at some point he'd just put on a hat and a coat and say, hey, I'm just going to show up like a guy. People keep getting scared when I show up. He does this with Zechariah back in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, with Mary in verse 29 and 30 of chapter 1. People keep getting afraid when he shows up. So he keeps saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news. This is the Greek word evangelizo. And in the Septuagint, this is in Isaiah 52. Now, something about Luke we have to understand about Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel, by the way, is a letter. And he's writing to make points about Jews and Gentiles and who Jesus came for and all of that stuff. And what he is going to conclude and what he wants the reader to connect here is good news has to do with salvation. And salvation connects to joy. He's going to tie these together. We see this in Isaiah 52, whenever Isaiah writes, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who proclaims good news, who announces peace and proclaims good news of good things, who announces salvation. And says, Zion, your God reigns. You see, Luke connects these dots, and he wants us to understand this and see this. He's bringing good news of great joy. And in the Greek, it's megalen keran, and that is the greatest joy. He says, I'm bringing you the, the greatest news about the greatest joy. And in Luke, again, the idea of joy is always tied to salvation, which will be for all the people. Now, you'll read and you'll study on this and and you'll find commentators who will say, when Luke says all the people, he's using an Old Testament word that means all of Israel. No, he is not. For Luke, salvation is literally for all 
the people. In fact, he is tying us back, and he's going to do this a few times. He's tying us back to the first dozen chapters of the book of Genesis. Genesis 12, chapter 3, Abraham is told by God in Genesis 12, 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's what Luke is pointing to here. That's what the angel is alluding to. That salvation has come not just for the Jewish people, but for all the peoples. Everyone. It's available to me. It's available to you. The apostle Paul said of one thing, he knew this. This was a trustworthy saying that Christ came to save sinners of whom I am foremost. For today in the city of David, now earlier, he clarified, Luke clarified which city of David he was talking about. The shepherds would have known, they would have connected right away to Bethlehem because they are from Bethlehem and so was David. But the outside reader might think for a second, they might get this idea of another city of David. Maybe it was Ziklag. If you read the Old Testament, Ziklag was a city given to David by the king of the Philistines, a guy by the name of Achish. It's not that. It's not Jerusalem. Jerusalem or Zion becomes known as the city of David because when Saul was king, he didn't rule from Jerusalem. It's only after David becomes king, him and Joab get up together and they go take the city and Jerusalem becomes known as the city of David. But this is the first city of David. This is the city that David put on the map. This is David's hometown, Bethlehem. The shepherds would have known that. Not everybody does. When Herod gets visited by the Magi, the three wise men, he doesn't put it all together. He calls all the priests, all the holy men, the Pharisees. He gets them all together. He says, which city of David is this Messiah, is this Savior supposed to come from? And they quote to him uh, Micah 5.2, which simply reads this way. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be the ruler of Israel. He goes forth, his going forth are from everlasting, from the ancient of days. So there's this piecing together. And now these shepherds, they're going to know what city exactly. They're going to piece it together because they, they're from the same region. They've heard the stories. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The idea of Christ is the anointed one of God. The Hebrew word is Mashiach or Messiah. And they call his name Jesus. That's what the angel told Joseph. You'll name him Jesus. Jesus, Yeshua, means salvation. He is to bring salvation to all the people. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby. Now, when someone says to you, you're going to find, what does that mean? You're going to find it. You're going to be looking for it. You're going to experience it. You're going to come across. And the implication here is, I'm not showing up for my health here, guys. You're going to go look for this baby. And you're going to find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, of all the people this angel could have visited, of all the professions of all the holy people, all the rich people, all the well-to-dos, who would know best where to find a feeding trough in Bethlehem? Bethlehem shepherds. 
So they're going to have a good idea of where to find this baby. They're probably, you know, Bethlehem's only, it's a town of about 200 people. Imagine, what's a town around here that's about 200 people? How big is Sturham? Less? Okay, let's just say in Sturham, about 1,000 people, because David had a lot of kids, it was probably more than that, they just descend upon that town. It's going to get crowded really fast, right? So you're going to send somebody, if you want to announce the good news, if you want people to hear the story, and the angels aren't telling these shepherds, be quiet about this. They're saying, you're going to go, you're going to find this baby, and whenever you do, you're not going to be able to do anything but talk about it, right? Because you've experienced this cool heavenly miracle. They're going to go and they're going to find this baby and they're going to talk about it. They're going to have an idea because even in a crowded small town, it's still a small town and they're familiar with all the feeding troughs because they've taken their sheep to them. So of all the people God would go to, it makes sense, it would track, he would go to the shepherds. And he's, he's lying, he's, they find him lying in a manger. One commentator said, instead of a heaven-sent warrior on horseback ready to annihilate the Romans, the Savior Messiah Lord enters the human stage as an infant gurgling in an animal feeder. And for all his life, he's going to tread that path towards Mount Calvary where he will be sacrificed as an atonement for our sins. He didn't come to be rich. He didn't come to be treated like a conqueror or a king. He came to live a life of sacrifice, a life of poverty. Again, that's why Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude. The Greek word there is plethos. It means to fill with a large crowd. It's where we get our English word plethora. There's this they're looking up at this one angel and all of a sudden all of heaven is filled with the heavenly host. And they're praising God. The word there is anountain and it means speaking of his excellence. They are saying, they're not singing so many times and even in Christmas hymns we'll hear that they were singing. They weren't singing, they were proclaiming the excellencies of God. And they say, glory to God in the highest. God does not lack glory, it is his forever. They are just ascribing to him what already belongs to him. And they are saying, glory to God in the highest. You know the Latin phrase for that that's become very popular. It comes from a little Christmas ditty. We say, angels, we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Angels, we have heard on high, sweetly, sweetly through the night and the mountains in reply, echoing their brief delight, Gloria in excelsis Deo. It's the same thing the angels were proclaiming. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. It's beautiful because glory belongs to him. This is fulfillment of prophecy, by the way, from Psalm 19 that says the heavens are telling of the glory of God. They're not singing, they're telling it, they're proclaiming it. They're making it very clear. Glory belongs to him. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. This peace is not, oh, everything's nice and calm. I feel good. That's not the kind of peace that he's talking about. That's not the kind of peace the, the, 
the angels were speaking of, certainly not the, the Pax Romana, the universal peace that Rome guaranteed its citizens. It's nothing like that. It's actually the type of peace Paul talks about in Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with him. Now, the way some translations read, you might, you might think that God's peace is, is simply a reward for those who have goodwill. That's not what, what the scripture is actually saying. A lot of people have goodwill. A lot of people, that's like saying only Christians can be kind. That's not true. In fact, some of the nicest people I've ever met are atheists or unbelievers. Doesn't mean that people can't be kind. This is the kindness of God extended, the goodwill of God extended to those who will receive him. It's what he is giving, a gift to us. In fact, we see this play out back in chapter 1 in the words of Elizabeth, uh, John the Baptist's mother. He says, or she says, sorry, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my disgrace among men. That is the goodwill of God given as a gift to Elizabeth. Mary says something similar. He's looked upon the humble state of his servant. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. She is the recipient of God's goodwill. She is the recipient of his peace. And it happened when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, now I want you to notice the first thing we have just witnessed is God seeking out his creation. He sent his angel, his messenger, to these shepherds. And they have proclaimed his glory. And they have told them where to find the Savior. And now they're gone. Right? So God has sought out his creation. And now the shepherds will seek him. It happened that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem then and see this thing. And we're going to stop right there. What Luke is doing is something incredibly brilliant right here. He is drawing your attention back to the book of Genesis once again. When God says in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. The next time somebody says let us after God says it is in Genesis 11. Now Genesis 1 through 11 explains to us as we understand scripture why humanity is in the state that it is in. You see, God creates man, let us make man in our image. And after that, all throughout history, man tries to make God in his. Later in Genesis chapter 11, the people of this little town called Babel, you might have heard of it. They say, let us make for ourselves a city and a tower and make a name for ourselves. In other words, let's establish ourselves as gods of the earth. Let's make ourselves as great as the most high. And that was the idea behind it. And of course, God shows up and he confuses their languages. And that's why today I'm preaching to you in English. And there's a pastor in China or Japan preaching in their language and a pastor in Africa preaching in his language because of the Tower of Babel. Because mankind wanted to say, let us be like God. But the idea doesn't stop there. The deeper we look at Genesis, we see that this idea of being like God, that is the greatest temptation the enemy puts before mankind. When he goes to Eve and he says, you can be like God if you eat this fruit. And what she do? She sees the fruit and takes it. 
What did the shepherds say? Let us go and see. So it's drawing us back to this. Through Eve, this sin enters the world. Later in Genesis 6, the sons of God will see the daughters of men, and, and that's a whole thing. And they're going to want to take them, in essence, to make uh, mankind live forever. And there's this whole thing in Genesis 6 about that. And again, God causes this flood. Story of, of Noah. I almost said Abraham. I really miss my manuscript right now. The whole story of Noah. And it's from Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, on into Genesis 11, we see humanity fall and fall and fall and fall. And then in Genesis 12, God stands before Abraham and he says, but through you, through your seed, I will bring someone who will be the savior of the entire world for all the people. The shepherds, what's fascinating about them is they say, let us go to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It's not them saying, let us go be like God. It's let us get together and follow God. Let us get together and seek God. And hey, that sounds kind of like church. And they go and they find this baby. They went in a hurry And found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger, just like the angel had told them. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. The angel didn't swear them to secrecy. They had a supernatural encounter that changed their life, and they go and find Jesus And what happens? They can't help but talk about him. They can't help but talk about this child. Church, the same thing still happens to us today when we have an encounter with Jesus Christ that changes us and we experience the greatest joy ever known. We can't help but talk about that. We can't help but share that with others. And all who heard it marveled. It's the word ephemason, it's the Greek. It means they were astonished. They wondered the things which were told them by the shepherds. Why would they wonder? Well, shepherds weren't really highly esteemed, right? I wonder if what they're saying is true. That sounds pretty fascinating. Pretty hard to make something like that up. How'd they know to come find the baby? That's pretty astonishing. But there's someone in the room that has the inside track on what's going on. And Mary was treasuring all these things, pondering them in her heart. You see, Mary knows. In fact, if you actually study her and look at her, Mary is a very intelligent young lady. She's only around 13, maybe 14 years old at this point in the story. And she is someone, if you read the Magnificat, if you study the things she says to Elizabeth, she is a very biblically trained young woman. She knows Scripture. Her parents did a good job, right? You look at what she says, she quotes Psalm 103, she quotes Psalm 109, she knows the scriptures. And now she is connecting some of these things in her mind, and she's hearing what these shepherds are saying, and she treasures them in her heart. And the question becomes, how do you know that, Luke? Who told you that? Church, I I believe with all my heart, it was Mary herself. 
You see, the Gospel of Luke was written, it was completed around 59 A.D., maybe 63 A.D., as late as. And it was written, if you go back in your Bible, just turn back a couple of pages, it begins in these words, the first four verses of the entire Gospel. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word handed them down to us, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in orderly sequence, most excellent." Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty about the things which you have been taught. Now, Theophilus is an interesting character in church history. His name, Theos, meaning God, phileo, meaning friendly love. He is a friend of God. He is a friend of the church. That's what his name means. Now, that could be a code name. We don't know. Luke is writing this as a letter to Theophilus, who was, history tells us, a defense attorney for the church. Knowing the time in which it was written, it was very likely and is sometimes thought that Theophilus was actually Paul's personal defense attorney, the Apostle Paul. And so Luke is writing this. He wants to get all the details right. And if he's writing it around 60 AD or probably started on it around 55 AD, there's a young lady who's only about 13 years older than whatever year that is, right? Her name's Mary. Mary would have been at the very oldest, around 75 years old when this was written, which wasn't too old back then, okay? So it's not beyond the idea. Now, now you might think, well, how do they meet? Where do they connect? Okay, let me draw this for you. It's not unreasonable, okay? John, the disciple of Jesus, was told at the cross that you're going to take care of my mother, John. That's what Jesus said. Okay, you can go back, you can read the Gospel of John. And from that moment on, John the disciple, John the apostle, not John the Baptist, there's a lot of Johns, he has Mary with him wherever he goes. Now Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. Paul starts, or at least has a big to-do with the church at Ephesus. Him and this guy Apollos, they kind of get it off the ground We see that take place. Ephesus is a big deal church, by the way, in this date and time because Ephesus is like the crown jewel of the Roman Empire in this area. In fact, Ephesus is going to come up in quite a few of the epistles. You have Ephesians, which is written directly to them. You have 1st and 2nd Timothy. Timothy was at Ephesus as their pastor. You have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Wait, who is with John? Mary. And he says in 3 John, I'm going to come and I'm going to deal with this Diotrephes guy myself. Now John's going to end up being exiled and he's going to go to this isle called Patmos. And what's one of the first churches he writes to? Ephesus. It's not unlikely, it's not unbelievable to assume that Mary, the later half of her life, likely spent it at Ephesus. Well, who else went through Ephesus? Paul and his entourage. Timothy, Titus, Silvanus, and this guy, his physician named Luke. So it's not out of the realm of imagination that some night, Matthew's sitting down at this table and he looks across and who's sitting there but Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I imagine Luke being the inquisitive guy trying to write like he is, probably says, hey Mary, I'm a physician. I know a lot of women who've given birth. Tell me about the night Jesus was born. 
And how many of you ladies who've given birth know you can give almost every detail of that event? It doesn't matter how old you are, right? I see nodding heads. Okay, so I know you're alive. The other day in our house, I heard my oldest daughter asking Jennifer, how much did Eliza weigh when she was born? And she busts out a number. I can't even remember it now. I just heard it. How, how much did Linus weigh when he was born? Boom, Jennifer knows. She remembers stuff, guys. My wife remembers stuff I said in the delivery room I don't remember saying, and she's threatened to kill me over them. <laughs> if I die by suicide, I'm not suicidal, okay? My wife just remembered, all right? When Izzy was coming out, I do remember saying, when are we going to have the next one or some very, she'll tell you the exact words I said, and I will kill you were the words that came out of her mouth. And I imagine in, in that room, Luke's sitting there at that table or, or whatever. He's, and he looks across. He says, Mary, tell me about the day that Jesus was born. And she says, okay, are you going to write this down? You better write this down, Luke. It's important. See, we were there in the time of the census. And there were these shepherds who showed up out of nowhere. And they said these angels had come. And they were declaring the glory of God. Make sure you tell them about the shepherds, Luke. Because that hit my heart. I still treasure that. Because it confirmed what I already knew. Everyone else in the room got to hear there was something special about my baby. And I didn't know all of the story. I didn't know that years later I would be at the foot of the cross and get stuck with John. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he was going to die as a sacrifice for my sins, but I need a Savior too. I'm not perfect either. And I didn't know that a few days later he was going to rise from the grave. And that's why I went with those ladies to the tomb. And I was, I was torn in half. It felt like a spear got my heart whenever a spear pierced his. But when I got to that empty tomb, it was like something came alive in me again. And Luke, make sure you tell about the shepherds. Because they talked about who he was going to be. And they proclaimed it better than I could ever put into words. And I treasure it in my heart to this day. In church, when the shepherds were done, they went back glorifying. They were praising God inwardly is what the Greek means. And they were praising God outwardly for all that they had heard and seen, just as was told them. Because when they sought Christ, they received the greatest of joys. Now I'm going to move to close in just a second. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And, and I'm going to say this, I'm gonna, and then we'll close. We'll sing, and we'll close in a prayer, and then we're free to go about our Merry Christmas ways. But... Church, if you're here and you're seeking Christ or, or you've not sought Christ, if you're watching, if you're listening on our podcast or whatever the case may be, I can tell you that you can still seek Christ. Heaven still sings of his glory. There is joy waiting, not at the manger, but at the cross. The greatest of joys for those who seek Jesus. We'll find it in him. Jesus 